Hello, and welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I'm your host, Viv, and some of you know me as Sober I Thrive. Make sure to visit our website on SobertownPodcast.com. You will find our free Zoom calendars, Todd's modules for your Sober Toolbox, Sober Recovery Stories, and our link to the Sobertown Facebook group on SobertownPodcast.com. I'll chat with guests and community members about topics related to sobriety and recovery. There are also a couple of sober communities called Boom, Rethink the Drink, and the I Am Sober app, where most of our website contributors met for SoberTownPodcast.com. Hi, Sobertown. I have a very special guest today, and she is sharing her recovery story with us. Her hero's journey through recovery. She is the podcaster for Rise Recover Live. She is also the senior manager of virtual programming with the Phoenix. And I call her the yoga teacher extraordinaire. <laughs> I give you Liz McKeon. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. What a what a nice introduction. I like I said, I gotta change up my LinkedIn and my what's it called? My business cards, because you make me sound way cooler than any anything I've ever written down. <laughs> well, you are super cool. And oh, I, you know, yeah. I'm so excited to be here with you because I know that we had spoken we've spoken before with your co podcast oh, host, I guess. <laughs> The coast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And and I wanted to get your story, your recovery story individually, a rediscovery story, because it's really what a rediscovery of what you've done. Mm -hmm. So take us back to little Liz. Let us oh know how it began. All the way back to little Liz, huh? Gosh, well, it all began on a, on a rainy Saturday evening. <laughs> I think actually, literally, I actually know it might not have been raining. It might have been snowing. I'm from Western New York and yeah, and had a pretty lovely childhood. I, you know, grew up in a, a relatively small town and have two loving, wonderful parents. I'm the oldest of three kids. We my we grew up closer to my mom's side of the family who are Irish and, you know, celebrate that. And the, the Irish whiskey was a big part of celebrations and things like that. But I, you know, I definitely remember people having a lot of fun at parties and getting a little bit more fun at parties when, you know, when I was a kid. But I never to the extent that I was ever, you know, aware of substance use to the extreme or anything like that. You know, really drinking was celebrated and yet. I was still a super duper good kid, you know, like by definition and proud of that title. And I was an overachiever and I was a rule follower and I had pretty severe anxiety from a really young age looking back. But then I didn't have language for that. I didn't know what it was. I just thought, you know, I was really nervous and worried and stressed out all the time. And I only reason I realized that that was something that set me apart from everybody else is because it was it caused frustration in other people, you know, and didn't make my life easier to share it a lot. So I learned to not talk about it as much. Not that it's something that I was ever really able to hide, but it wasn't something that I would actively like seek out any support for. But I just, you know, used that anxious energy to achieve, achieve, achieve. And 
never touched a drop of alcohol all through school, high school. As cool as I am now, <laughs> I wasn't all that cool then. Definitely not getting invited to parties. But I was on the sports team. You know, I had my I had my little cool credibility here and there. And then, you know, I remember my a big disappointment in my you know very immature part was when I went off to college because I had gotten all the good grades and did all, you know, president of all the clubs, captain of all the teams and things like that, and stayed up all night, every night, just totally killing myself to to do so well, because I was told that if I did that, you know, I could do anything I wanted to, and I could go to any college. And that was like the prize, you know, and, you know, that's not always the case because it's expensive as heck. And I have a really smart, wonderful father who was like, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I just don't think it's a good idea for you to take out you know, loans that are worth more than our house to go to college for a, I don't know, journalism degree. Cause I was like, journalism communications. I don't know. You know, all I need is like the college. That's, that was the next step. The rest of it was kind of up in the air. And that just like crushed me because I ended up going to a, a state school in New York state, which is, a, which was a very good school. But in my eyes, you know, I was like, I was going to go to Notre Dame or, you know, some big, whatever Ivy league school. And we and I didn't. And I was just like, well, what I've been I have been lied to. And that was when I first started drinking. I still didn't actually plan to, but I was on a sports team and it was a party school. And so it I, I remember being very afraid of the thought of drinking, but I guess I was more afraid of maybe not fitting in because I tried it. And I remember the very first time I had a drink and it felt like what everyone else must feel like like this must be what life is supposed to feel like like this must be what happiness is like all that tightness in my chest and that like churning in my brain and just that anxiety that I had lived with since birth maybe before birth was suddenly quiet and like man I like the moment I remember you know and was like I don't ever want to not feel this way which is just not a good sign like spoiler alert. So I continued to drink pretty heavily through college, ended up being a different experience than I thought. I still did well. I still graduated. I, you know, wasn't the uber overachiever that I had once been, but I was a smart kid and was able to, you know, do well even with late nights and late mornings and skipping class and here here and there. I just was able to get through. And then after school, I hadn't really done anything to prepare. Like my whole, my real degree had been in drinking, you know? And it kind of like shocked me when after school people like went away, like went back to their hometowns or other cool places and got big jobs. And I was like, I don't really know what to do next, nor do I really want to do anything but just continue doing this. So I, you know, got I continued to work in, in retail and, you know, moving up there. I've got that was like a regional I think training manager was my cool title, which allowed me to travel, which allowed me to, you know, drink even more and more. And it just continued to get pretty intense. And I remember several times over the course of my 20s, you know, people who would dare get close enough to me to see that there was this is like not a normal person drinking, you know, might bring it up and, you know, little mini interventions here and there. And that the only signal that gave to me was that I need to keep you a lot farther away from me. You know, I moved, I, I stayed where I was in college, which was a few hours away from where my family lived. So I just kind of kept everybody at a distance unless you were someone who drank like me because then I could the world around me matched you know what I felt like I needed to do and uh, yeah and and, you know there was some really fun times like I remember there was fun you know and there was I, I did have friends that I cared about a lot that 
you know, that were able to keep up with me. And but there was also a lot of crippling anxiety between the drinking and the hangovers and, you know, just totally wrecked my credit. You know, all the things that happen when the only thing you care about is just feeling better, which is also the thing that's making you feel worse. And I eventually moved back home. You know, I'd had some relationships, again, usually guys that would drink like me. And that was kind of when the problem started, I guess, shortly after I was back back home. I started a relationship with somebody else who could could keep up with me, but he was more, he was just a good time. He was just like, I'm just here to make you happy. And if this is what makes you happy, I'm here for it. I learned kind of what I needed to hide even from him and how to hide from him, like how serious it was. Um, and, you know, got another degree. And then like little consequences started just coming through the cracks, you know, like issues with jobs and just being like sick all the time, which I think I even was able to convince myself that I had like health problems that I definitely didn't have. And I've heard you talk about about that, that you there were health problems that you didn't, which most of us don't relate to with the alcohol, right? Well, you want it to be anything but that. You know, I mean, it's like everything that your, your your life can be burning down around you and literally the bottle of, you know, whatever it is, is the one holding the match. And you're just like, I can't see you like it's anything else. Like I must have, you know, I must have IBS. Like I must have just really bad luck. I must have migraines, you know, all these things. And it's like or you're drinking bottles and bottles of things every single night. And like it's it, your body can't keep up with that. But it's amazing how much you can not only lie to your lie to other people, but lie to yourself, you know, because it's just like, just don't take this away from me. Because even if this is causing problems, I know that it, the only time I ever feel OK is when I have it. Yeah. And that's a scary moment when you finally let that information in, which I did, you know, here and there, but would quickly bury it again. Like, I think it was late 20s, the first time I Googled, you know, like, am I an alcoholic and looking up AA meetings. And that's all I knew of recovery was, you know, going to meetings, like the things that you see on TV, like the church basements and the, you know, the cigarettes and just like the shame, you know, and your life is over and like you spend your whole life white knuckling it and just in pure misery because you just are so desperately wanting this thing that you just cannot have. And I was like, I don't want that life. You know, like there were moments that I was desperate enough that I thought maybe I should, but never did I want it. And it wasn't even until the consequences got much more severe and the people around me who loved me the most that I couldn't avoid were like, you know, that this is not, you are going to die, that I would start to seek out help. And even then it was usually just to get enough time that I could then convince myself and everyone else that I was all better. You know, we even moved to a whole other state because I decided that my alcoholism lived in New York. <laughs> but if I came to Florida, even after, you know, a certain amount of time sober and suddenly life is getting good, I decided life is getting good because I'm better. That means I can drink again because what might as well make it even better. And that alcohol would be the thing. And yeah, it didn't. <laughs> it made it much worse and burned down a few versions of life here, too. Yeah, that's the that's the less cheery part of the story cheery things come later though <laughs> but you know what it, it, it goes to sh to show like what we had talked about that the idea of someone that has for myself alcohol addiction alcoholic i'll really use those terms for myself because i think they're those are the terms that i wanted to run away from mm. and 
so for me, that was something that that kept me in away from knowing what that what look was. Yeah. I'm not that. Right. I'm, right. So when you're say you said it like very in your story, and I got another degree. And I'm like, <laughs> another degree, you know? It's amazing what you can do when you're in a lot of pain and don't want anybody to know about it and are trying to fix the pain with any other thing, you know, than putting down the thing causing the pain. Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting that you say that, that you use those terms because those are the terms that you ran from. Like, that is, I think, the opposite of the way, the direction that I have gone. I, you know, I will in passing, you know, mention like alcoholism or something. Like I think, you know, especially if I'm talking to somebody who maybe isn't in our recovery community and just this is the language that the world speaks, you know, so every once in a while I'll say that just for simplicity's sake. But I I tend to not use the word, I tend to not refer to myself as an alcoholic, you know, regularly. Every once in a while I do. More often, I'll I'll say addict or you know addiction because that feels like a, a a real thing that that happened. But I think you know those terms. I had the same experience as you, where it was just like I don't want to be this, and therefore I will not get help for this. Which is like, you know, it's like being like I don't want to be a person with a broken arm, and I don't want to say my arm is broken. Therefore, don't you give me that cast, you know? Like I'm just gonna walk around with a broken arm. Like it's it's crazy, and I. But I feel like one of the things that I like to think that I do, you know, on the podcast that that Bryce and I have and just in conversations when they go a little deeper than just surface level out in the world is allow people to see that they don't that they get to choose how they refer to themselves. Like, you know, and I love the way you said like that you that that's how those are the words you use, like you claim that for yourself. And not, you know, not feeling like everyone has to use that because I think that is the beauty of this recovery community that's really just blossoming in the world right now is that people are saying that like this is this is what works for me and I want to help you find what works for you and I celebrate what works for you. And if this word doesn't feel great and if this word is going to keep you from from getting help, like screw that word, you know, like you pick you pick your word or you pick no word, you know, it doesn't you get to decide what your journey looks like and how you talk about it. And I think, yeah, that's really cool. So thank you for bringing that up. That was, that's one of my favorite things to kind of like mull over is, is language around it and the stigma that comes with it. And also the words that maybe we want to take back because, you know, maybe we don't want people to picture, you know, somebody under a bridge, even though, you know, God bless the people under the bridge that deserve just as much help as you and I, you know, it's just, I always say it's, it's just good, good luck. I think that that's not, where my journey landed me. Yeah, I think I, I think it is. I think we'll get into that. But I think what the evolution of Liz McKeon is to where my vantage point is incredible. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because I've heard it and I've listened to it. I, I do think that the majority of us women, there is that stigma it, that we don't want to be the ones that are not the caretakers yeah you know and i think you talking about that as being you know what i had to be the best and go to the best school and and that's all all those pressures are your pressures are my pressures like totally we're in sync i totally get you yeah and i think that's why it's so empowering to have 
your story is so rich. Take us from where you moved with yourself, running away from the alcohol. Left it behind. A whole new person. Just reborn. They still sell alcohol down here in Florida, by the way, just in case anyone else is thinking that's going to be the escape. It's beautiful and warm, but they still sell it. Yeah. So we came down here and I, you know, my my husband is this wonderful person who has just been there with me and for me. We did actually did an episode on our podcast with the two of us, which was cool. Hard. It was hard. It's It's amazing how easy it is to talk about this with, you know, just folks who have had that same experience. And then even just complete, you know, strangers and how hard it is to talk about it and relive some of it with a person that you directly hurt during those years. Like, it's a pain that I don't think I could even describe because it's so unique just to this. So he was here and, again, just wanted me to be okay and wanted me to be happy. And and also, I think, wanted to believe that so much of my problem was anxiety. Like I have diagnosed generalized anxiety disorder and and panic disorder, which are true real things that have existed before and after, you know, addiction. And definitely was a was a contributor to me getting to that place, but alcohol took over, you know, was definitely the the front runner of the problem starter. <laughs> so when I was like, I think I'm okay. You know, my anxiety is just feeling much better. Like, I think I can do this drinking thing. And, and you know, and actually, I think that might help a little bit. So, you know, he was like, I, I want to believe that he wanted to believe that. Of course he did. And also, I'm a grown adult. You know, it's he's not trying to be my parent. And he had had to be that at some point at some times, you know, like this just caretaker that you don't sign up for in a in a marriage, you know, a person who just can't be trusted or to take care of themselves. So we got here and it did feel like a brand new start. And and we and we drank again. And I drank again and, and just off to the races immediately, you know, like far more than than what we anything that we were doing together. Like he's you know, he's much more normal drinker than me. And yeah, and still was able to get a job and do well, but just immediate misery, you know, immediately just waiting for the next time I could drink and got into day drinking a lot faster here than I did there and drinking, you know, during a work day, you know, just thinking this is the thing that's just going to get me through convincing myself. This is the thing that I need to get through a day. And yeah, and then ended up getting a DUI even after that. Drank again after after a little bit of time. I remember every single time I'd start again being like, I'm better now. Like, I think I even used that ridiculous language. (laughs) And the last time I drank, it was after a good stretch of not for a long time. I, I knew that this was a really big problem. I was starting to like build up this life. We were getting our finances under control, like our relationship was doing better. And I was working an obscene amount. Like I had picked up a bunch of extra jobs because I just decided I am all be- I'm all better now. So I can just go all in and I can work a lot and I've got anxiety under control. And all of a sudden I looked around and I was like, I'm not getting any sleep. I'm not eating well. I'm not taking care of myself at all. But like everybody's telling me I'm doing a good job and I'm sober. And like, so I just got to keep going. And it's like I was waiting for somebody to say to me, like, you're going, you're, you got to slow down. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to take care of yourself. Like you're not all better. You actually like need to take care of yourself all the time, no matter what. And nobody said that, you know, it was like, I smell smoke, but nobody else does. So it must not be a fire. And I just kept going straight into that burning building. And then one day I was like, I think I think I'm just going to have a drink, you know, out with people who don't know this part of my past, because I also never, ever talked about it ever. It was this little shameful thing that I had hidden in a corner. 
And even though it was like years and years and years of my life that I thought I was hiding in a corner. And it, you know, over the course of a couple of days turned into, you know, from like all 24 hours a day and ended up having a complete breakdown and ended up in the hospital and then in a psychiatric ward for a couple of days. I don't even know how many days or how long it was because I was so out of it. And yeah. And then for whatever reason, have not drank since then. I credit it a lot to the fact that during that time of sobriety, before that kind of final blow up, I had gotten back into yoga and that had made an enormous difference in my world and was starting to allow me to feel like I wanted to be sober for the first time ever, not just that I had to be sober. I put the yoga down because I was working so much and, you know, busy running into the burning building of my life. I also had connected with the Phoenix, which is that the sober active community that I work for, that we do the podcast for. And I was going to classes with all these people who were like sober out loud, which I still didn't understand what that could, how that possibly could be that you could just be proud of this sober thing. But it was, I wasn't super involved yet, but like the, the seed had been planted. But again, I had let that go during the, the madness of, of work and not paying attention to my needs and so those seeds, I think, are the things that had been planted so that after that final kind of just explosion, when I came back and like just put down pretty much everything, but, you know, my one regular full-time job and any commitments, any, you know, extracurricular things that were just going to be more than my little heart could handle in the moment, like I put down and I picked up yoga and I picked up Phoenix and I started to talk about what had happened. And I started to talk about what I wanted the future to look like. And I started to say things like, I'm sober. And I started to say things like, I don't drink, you know, two people out in the world who could hear me. <laughs> it, was, it was never before had happened. And then shortly after that, I started yoga teacher training because that felt like this is going to be, this felt like yoga just felt like something special. And I wasn't sure why. And I didn't feel like I was special enough to actually have a stake in it as a teacher, but I, knew that there was something there for me and started teaching yoga for the Phoenix once I was certified, you know, learned a lot about myself during that process, started talking about it a little bit during that process. And then the more and more I got involved with the Phoenix, the more and more I felt safe to be like this whole version of myself. Like this was like worthy of being this, this me person and I got to know her, you know, better and got to know other people who were like me and and I could see their, you know, inherent worthiness and goodness. And when I could see myself in them, it made it less impossible to feel like maybe I had inherent, you know, worthiness and goodness. And uh, yeah. And I just now I work for the Phoenix. Now I talk about this nonstop. Now I teach yoga and it's my most, you know, precious tool that I'm so grateful to be able to share. And I can't even quite believe that I'm sitting here today even talk like every single time I talk about it which now is you know several times a week because of the podcast and um because of the work that I do it's still like it's like this arm that I that was so broken that I thought I'd never be able to you know lift it again now I'm like you know doing tricks that was just I thought I had a metaphor there and I lost it <laughs> you're doing handstands <laughs> there you go I should have gone with that I'm a yoga teacher for heaven's sake yeah so that's brings us to today yeah you know the evolution of just not being able to speak about it to one person to yourself first oh god that was the hardest yeah that's that conversation and i one of my friends said something that 
it resonated with what you're saying is she said, you know, the sobriety really screwed up my drinking. It's a real buzzkill. You know, <laughs> oh God, you know because hilarious. it is. It's so true. And I, there's no linear way. Like, I don't know of anybody that's gone linear and saying, okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. On that, on your journey, because I think it's so, it's interesting. The, how long did you go for sober? How long did I go, like, before this <laughs> before this, before the real deal, before I actually wanted to be here? I, gosh, I remember the first time I hit 100 days. And I remember it because I think something clicked in my head, like, it's been 100 days. I'm probably good now, you know? So I think that happened several times. I know I had, you know, six months, eight months. I'm pretty sure I was at a year that last time. So, you know, the last probably, let's see. I don't know, maybe five or six years of my drinking. I've, my husband and I have talked about this before, and it's hard because I don't even know how much he doesn't know because there's things that I just, you know, looking back, I'm like, well, obviously you must have known that and he didn't, you know, so it's like I don't and I'm not a great historian, obviously, because I was I was drinking the whole time. But we're pretty sure that during those last like five or six years, I was sober more than I was drinking. Like there was more time not. It's just that the times that I would, it would be so intense and, you know, it would just like skyrocket to the very top level of it where, you know, I would, it would, you know, I just have to be like rescued from wherever I was passed out. Um, and then it would be a week or two weeks of not being able to get out of the bed. He would, this is my wonderful, sweet husband who would set me up, you know, in bed with like some, like the few foods that I was able to stomach, you know, all the beverages to keep me hydrated. And like a compute, like a laptop with either Friends or Sex of the City queued up, like the entire series. And he he would tell me because this is how well he knows me that I need to have a I need to have a job. I need to have something that I can succeed at. You'd be like, your only job today is to stay in this bed and watch, you know, Friends, and not to drink. That is your your job. That's it. And like sometimes I succeeded, and sometimes I miserably failed. But I remember lots of those weeks that that would be you know there would be days and weeks that I would be in the bed and then you know sometimes always you know at, at some point I would be able to get out but that was really hard and yeah that was really hard but and and again that was you know the times it wouldn't take long to get to that point during during those last years and now it's been so I don't similarly how to how I don't use you know alcoholic typically for myself and again zero judgment on anybody else who uses it because I, I want us all to be able to use our own language and mind changes all the time. But I also don't count days. I don't, I'm not, you know, I, a 12 step certainly had a point, had a, had a place in my, in my drinking career. Cause there's times that like, thank God it exists. And it's just, you know, any time, any day, you can just go somewhere and be around people that are going to understand and, and say, oh yeah, me too, you know, and not just cast you aside. But, but it just didn't end up being my, my, long-term community, my long-term, you know, pathway. And I found one of the things that I would do is I would count days to get to day 100, to get to nine months, to get to one year, because that was the time that then I decided in my head, sometimes I wasn't even aware that like, now I'm going to be allowed to drink again. And I was like, this isn't, this just isn't serving me. So I have an idea, you know, it was like in like, it was, you know, five-ish years ago, but I, I like to not focus in on that because it feels I feel better not doing that. That's cool that you don't either. I don't, I didn't know. I'm so excited to hear your whole story, Viv, because 
We're, you're coming on my podcast. It's going to be so much fun. It's hard not to ask you questions. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, it, it, it's the same thing. And everything that you're saying totally resonates so much because those words that I would be see. So I'm super curious. I'm, you know, I'm the addict. Addict? What do you mean I'm an addict? No, right. it, no. And then the, the evolution. It's constantly peeling that onion and then to where, just like when you said, I don't count days. And, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but cliches are for a reason, right? I don't count the days. I make the days count. Oh, my gosh. That's a great. I haven't heard that one. I love that. Oh, I make the days count. That makes me feel good. I'm going to use that one. So I wanted to know, so how did you get involved? How did it the evolution of Liz McKeon go? I love how I say your whole name is so beautiful. I thank you. <laughs> Make me feel so good. How did I get involved? Like in like like Phoenix or recovery Everything. community, just in all the things. Yeah. Gosh, I don't, man. I every once in a while I think back to like my my career history and just the just trajectory of yeah, like you said, like the evolution, and it's wild and it's cool because it all feels like it was. It, it was exactly the way it was supposed to be. You know, I wouldn't be here if all those other things hadn't happened. It's funny because I hear people say a lot, you know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't do anything different because I wouldn't want to be anywhere but here and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the person I was. But also if you like plopped me back there, let me just tell you, I would, I, even if I went there not intending to do anything different, like, holy smokes, I hope I would do some things different. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm grateful, but you know, give me another choice. Yeah, I, uh, I just don't know. I just, I just, I would be sad to lose the person I am today, but also, oh, that would be really hard to go through again. But let's see. So I, I mean, I've always just been, a, as far as this is something that I'm actually working on is not having my identity personally so tied to what I do for work, which is really challenging. I think just in general in this, in the culture that we're in. And then also when you work in a space that is so personal to you, you know, and that you care about so deeply on all the levels, that's like, I think that's where I'm at right now in my recovery journey is learning that there's more to me than my recovery journey. And then also really honoring it and not forgetting it and not, you know, taking it for granted one single second. So that's a balance that I'm still working on. And career has always been something like work has always been something that I've just felt is the thing that you're supposed to that's you know school was important and even when I was doing retail like it felt like I needed to be the best at that and I moved away from that into I worked in like a nonprofit doing some fundraising for a little while which was great it was many years ago and not something I wanted to do forever but also that experience helps me working for a nonprofit now I, I'm not in that department but just having that kind of like understanding of how nonprofits work I that second degree that I mentioned was a nursing degree. I went back to school to be a, a nurse. Yeah, I know. I don't always bring that. That's a part of my story that I haven't totally made peace with yet, I think, because that felt like it still feels like a loss. Like it's something that I walked away from semi-voluntarily. If you have a DUI, then there's a lot of things that you have to do in order to continue to, you know, be a licensed to to work as a licensed person. And I did I did them for one state and not for the other state. And either way, it was just like, clearly, I'm not in a place that I should be doing this work right now. And that whole like, you can tell just by the fact I just kind of like breeze over that part of the story because it's just like, it's like that's still there's still some there's grieving there that hasn't quite, you know, wrapped itself up. But it was just that wanting to 
be someone who not only took care of people, but was seen for it, you know, like that I just wanted that to be something that people saw me that I was a person who took care of people, which I think was one of the hardest things about being someone that needed so much care myself, you know, for those years. And when I started teaching yoga, that felt like the gift of a lifetime because especially because I was able to teach the Phoenix just immediately was like, of co- like, of course, teach yoga for, you know, here, this is, this is the place. Like, I don't, we don't care that you're just brand new yoga teacher, you know, come and do this. And to be able to say the things out loud to people who were in that yoga class, knowing it was the right thing because it was the thing that I needed to hear was just, it felt so good. It was just such a beautiful energy exchange and continues to be. And it's, it, it's so like, I don't even have the words because it's just such an honor to be able to be in a space that's so safe that you can help to curate a space that's safe for people who just so desperately need a safe space because in our own heads it's not. (laughs) So being able to do that, I think, gave me the confidence to grow in other areas and step into other leadership roles in different jobs. And then when something opened up at the Phoenix because COVID happened and suddenly they needed virtual instructors and just people to to work virtually. And I was like, well, I I lost my job because of COVID and, you know, I'll come and teach some yoga classes on this platform that I felt like I was, I, of course I could raise my hand for that, you know, and then what I did and was able to take on more and, you know, eventually manage an apartment, like I never could have done that without all those little stepping stones that came from, you know, getting sober and meeting other people who were, who were proud of it and having, seeing them be proud of me. And then, you know, being able to lead yoga and do more yoga and become stronger in that role. And that, you know, just to like, those little notches on the, I don't know, the the post of self-worth, I guess. And now to be able to contribute to an organization that's, I mean, really on its way, it's already enormous, on its way to being even more, like changing the way people look at addiction and recovery as like mind-blowing to be, to be part of it and have a voice in it, to be a voice of it often, you know, on that, on the podcast. And, and today is just like that little Liz all those years ago and you know even five ten years ago could never (laughs) you know (laughs) so it's and it's ever ever changing ever growing ever humbling and I'm so glad I didn't miss it yeah I think your journey just you speaking about it and everything that you were saying broadcasting and everything it honestly seems to me from my perspective and what I've seen is curated the Liz McKeon. <laughs> yeah, that men's, men's heart, because it takes a special person, I, I believe, to be in a position to where you're, you make everyone feel comfortable. I've seen your podcast with Bryce and they're just, they're beautiful. They're <laughs> kind, they're compassionate. They give hope. And I think that that is what everything has just been and just even more to curate the person that you are so my question that I have so how did your evolution to become the podcaster what happened how did that where where did it land like yoga podcasting I mean, though, most yoga teachers just start a podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like these days, probably. I feel like it's one of those things that so many, so many of us 
are so lucky to be able to do. I let's see. So the yoga teacher thing, I was I thought I was applying for, I think, a part time yoga teacher job on the Phoenix platform and ended up applying for a like a program coordinator job. And which I in which I still taught yoga, but I also had some responsibilities and just like supporting the this this beginning of a program, you know, this virtual program where suddenly we have Phoenix classes, which are typically had always been in person. You know, you would go to a gym, you would go to a yoga studio, you would go to paddle boarding, you know, just something that this organization would would put, you know, people and resources behind to make happen. And anybody with 48 hours sober could go for free. And suddenly they were like, we need to put this online because we couldn't be in person. And then after a little while of that happening, realized like we need to keep this online, actually. And we need to grow this because that's the way we can reach more people who, you know, they don't have a local Phoenix chapter or just group of people who are involved. Then they aren't able to be part of this community, which is really the the key. You know, it's the it's the, the paddle boarding is cool, but like the community is the thing that that brings us all just so much healing. So I helped to grow that platform along with some other really brilliant people. and. In that we there was from the very beginning, I feel like conversations about like we should have a podcast, like if we're going to be like getting the message out virtually, you know, if we're like trying to grow a digital community, if we're, you know, on Zoom, like where else could we be? Like, obviously, we're on social media. More recently, we actually have an app that's just the Phoenix. But this podcast kind of thing was in the background for a while. And I am really lucky to work with a supervisor who is just one of those very brilliant people and also you know, creative and, and just has a, has a good, a good gauge for like the risks that are, that are the right ones to take and believed in me enough so that I believed in me when, and so when we decided to create the podcast, suggested that I be one of the voices on it. And then Bryce was like a super easy pick because he already had his own podcast and he's like the voice of, I don't even know, just anytime he speaks, everyone listens. So we were just lucky to have him at the Phoenix and also to have him on the microphone next to me was like, I felt immediately comfortable. Um, yeah. And and we started it completely not knowing what we were doing. You know, we're still figuring out. Luckily, he had some base knowledge because, like I said, he had done his own podcast and just learned it all himself. And, you know, we're only like a year, not even a year in, you know, we're only like under 60 episodes that that we've dropped but we've got, you know, a system now. We have like another person that that works with Bryce and I and a few, you know, we've got like somebody who helps us with editing and things like that, which we're so fortunate because that is that is really hard. Like a lot of those tech things are very hard. So we're able to just really focus on talking to people and hearing their story. And, you know, both Bryce and I have really different stories. We come we came to the Phoenix from completely different routes you know for me it was like the earliest of recovery for him it was like years and years in you know his his background in substance use disorder was incredibly different from mine and our day-to-day lives are really different you know he's a he's a dad like he lives in Detroit you know I have no kids just a bunch of furry ones and then I live down in Florida and so it's, it's cool to be able to have such completely different perspectives but then like share the values of everyone's story matters and you know just the absolute gratitude and awe that we both feel for the fact that people are able to come onto our podcast and and tell their story and to help that help bring that to the world and you know i mean you've heard our podcast we just also go off on tangents and talk about things like i don't know i i reference 90s cartoons sometimes and i don't even know how that happens but like people still keep listening and it's so wonderful and kind and yeah it's it's wild that that's 
it was a, it was not the course I would have expected to take. But yeah. And thank you for saying those kind things about our well, just about me in general. It's and the, about the show like that, creating that safe space and having it be like kind and compassionate. And it, it's exactly what we, you know, dreamed that it would be. And coming from you, who absolutely creates that safe space, too. It means so, so much. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I, 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 you know what? I look to you and Bryce and your podcast because it not only can I listen to it, but I can also watch it. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. Every once in a while I forget that. I'm like, oh, no, we're on camera. I like fix my hair around my headphones and hope the cat doesn't jump up on the counter. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. How's, I, how has that experience been to be on YouTube as well? Honestly, so far, I've been able to fool myself into thinking it's a very small subset of of our uh, listens, you know, so I don't spiral about it as much as I probably will someday. You know, we have our we have more more of our audience finds us on, you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other ones that you download on your phone. YouTube, though, is definitely getting a little bit more than it was before. And I know Bryce has really big visions for that. So for me, I mean, I'm so used to like my job, even before the Phoenix has been very Zoom centric. So I'm used to having conversations and connecting with people in this way. So that feels it doesn't feel super weird for me. So I'm able to just not really think about the fact that we're on camera, you know, but knowing that we are. I think I kind of love because we're both just smiley people and I think you can kind of like see the warmth and feel the warmth and Yeah. I think I think I'm okay with it. <laughs> I I tell you though, I still can't. I don't know if you feel like this, but like to be sitting. I mean, I'm in my kitchen right now, you know, and to just be sitting and talking about like the thing that I used to hide that I would have just. I I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I would have died before I told somebody this story. You know, I would have just there would no amount of money would have been enough for me to say yes. I will tell you this deep dark secret. And now here we are, and I'm just like in my kitchen on a whatever the heck day it is and we're just talking and it's just could, the easiest thing because it's the thing we talk about the most and what is this life it's amazing right it is <laughs> I, that, you're like and i'm doing it it's like riding the bicycle and i'm doing it and i'm doing i know and everyone's like i'm doing it like oh my god <laughs> i think it's it's beautiful didn't you if i'm not mistaken didn't you guys have there was a concert for the phoenix or something the i saw bryce posted something tell me about that yeah so music is the kind of newest area that phoenix is launching into that's the wrong word but we're gonna go with it because historically phoenix has been you know we're called a sober active community and that was originally because we were very fitness based there's so much research out there and a lot of you know just also anecdotally just information about how moving our bodies in a healthy way can be so healing and so good for recovery. We moved from like pure fit, you know, CrossFit and boxing and things like that into spaces of like yoga, meditation. We started to get into pretty much anything that somebody would raise their hand and be like, I am part of the recovery community and I want to offer blank. It will bring people together. So maybe that is a art club. Maybe that is a poetry club. Maybe we've got a Dungeons and Dragons-esque thing on our virtual platform now. So if something is a cool activity that's also, you know, safe and done in a trauma-informed way and can bring people together, it's Phoenix. And music, of course, has like been, you know, peppered in there just because that's activity that people do over the years. But 
more recently, we started going in with much more intention. Have you ever heard of the red balloon? Oh, gosh. Red, yes. The red balloons? Yeah. So that was, and I'm probably going to completely represent this horribly, but it was like people at like Grateful Dead concerts that would hold a red balloon if they were sober. And then, you know, you could find each, they would be able to find each other and find that like safe community of people based because that balloon was above the crowd. And so it's like an offshoot or kind of inspired by that of using our our app now, using technology for people to be able to go to these music, you know, shows and concerts. And we're starting out with very specific festivals across the country where Phoenix has a booth, has a like a safe, sober space where to be in that space, you need to be sober and you're able to, you know, get support like it's still it's still growing you know right now i know they have like mocktails and also just you know hydration and cool swag and things like that and just like a place where you can go and connect with other people in a and it allows people who want to be in that world but maybe feel like in sobriety it doesn't always feel super safe because there is so much substance use in that world both for artists and for just festival goers that there is still a space for us there and there's you know claiming that <laughs> and and also inviting people in that maybe think like you, you were talking about sober curious people before, like some people think, well, the only way I can go to this is if I engage in these activities that maybe don't serve me. But maybe I think I'm not allowed to stop because I'm not, you know, burning down my life. And it's like, no, actually, just come to the tent and hang out. There's a lot of cool people here that are going to dance with you. And it just is a it's a cool start to something I think that's going to be really big, you know, in the future. Yeah. How was the experience for, for you? You were there at the last one, right? No, I haven't gone to any of them. Bryce went to Jazz Fest. That's and... the one I saw. Yeah. 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 So I've gotten to hear all about it. But I, so for me, even when I was drinking, I mean, I, I'm sure I would have gone because any excuse, but I've just never been a concert person. Like the, the thing that I love about the Phoenix is that like there's, I feel like we're getting to that place where there's something for everybody. And that doesn't mean that everything is for everybody, you know, and that's the cool thing about it, that we can be in this place. And even if we don't do the same stuff, like there's stuff for each of us and get to celebrate our, you know, our differences, maybe try something new. Like maybe I'll maybe I'll go to one of them. We'll see. But it's really cool. It makes me just so happy to know that that's in the world, that, that this is the world that we live in now, that, that that sober spaces exist in, you know, like I don't even there was one. That especially, oh, well, Gasparilla here in Tampa is typically an enormous, I mean, it's like very like pirate themed. So rum and all those things. And man, there was a silver space there. And that is amazing. Wow. Oh, that's huge. I know. I know. Yeah. So cool. That's amazing. So let me ask you another question. Where do you see this? Where do you see this? going where do you see yourself like man i you know ask myself that a day and i i'm one of those people who really likes daydreaming so i love thinking of you know the next cool thing i don't see a world ever where i'm not involved with the phoenix just because it's you know it evolves with me you know and around me and so in some capacity i see phoenix being part of my life long term and certainly like the wonderful people that i'm so lucky to be in community with I don't know. You know, I am really interested in getting to know like just mental health in general. I'm really just interested in like mental health counseling and just research and areas that I feel like I'm part of all the time. You know, I'm having 
conversations that are really, you know, in depth with with people who are struggling. And sometimes I'm the one who's struggling all the time. So I'd love to learn more tools around that in general. You know, I, I'm so grateful that, again, don't know if I'd do it again, but I'm really grateful that substance use disorder was part of my history because I think it allows me to have a level of understanding and compassion that I might not have been so lucky to cultivate otherwise. And I just feel like there's more of that. There's more, there's, that's going to grow more between that and, and yoga. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I just, I just feel, do you ever feel like you're like on the cusp of something, but you're not exactly sure what it is and can't really put words to it yet, but it's exciting. Yeah. It's like that cake that you're baking and you're not, you don't know how to, but it smells good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking my language. <laughs> I mean, I don't bake, but I really like to eat the cake. So I'm, <laughs> I'm fully on board for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Phoenix is the same. You know, we're on the cusp of like just, I mean, cha just changing the world. It's, it's, it's such a thing to say. And, we're, you know, that the thing that is cool about the Phoenix just messaging is that we're not, you know, we like to say that it's not a company, it's a movement, but also it's not the movement, which is part of a um, part of the movement, you know, because the recovery movement is is just growing and it's so cool to again, just be part of it, to have a voice in it. Like, what a gift. Yeah, I've seen uh, some of your guests and, and they come from so many different walks of life and so many ages. Yeah, yeah. Like, I saw, I think, I mean, he looked like he was 21 somewhere in there and he gave one of the most powerful stories. Yeah. And I was like, damn, man. <laughs> what a cool message, right? Like, that it's like, it's never... It's never too early because I think people feel like, oh, you know, I'm too young. I don't want to give it da, da, da. like whatever. No, like it's never too early and it's also never too late. You know, like if you are 85 or 95 or 105 and decide that this thing isn't serving you and you want to make a pivot in your life, whether it's substances, substances or whatever, anything else, you know, go vegetarian, <laughs> like go for it. You you get to change. You don't have to be linear in any part of your life. I think that's a lesson that we get to learn. The hard way but we also definitely get to learn it and share it but i think that that's like goes back to your warmth your experience even though we say well i would have probably chosen you know something else but <laughs> but it's your warmth you know coming through to allow and give that space to the i mean it's skittles every color of the rainbow oh my gosh i've never been compared to skittles <laughs> i love it so much so, okay, let me ask you another question. I always ask, what would you say? This goes back to, and I think I've asked you this when you're together with the phrase, but individually, you're on journey. What would you say to someone that is on that day zero? Mm. I would say, I would say, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can do it. You're going to get through this. There's another side to this. There's going to be a day that you look back on this hard, hard part and you're going to be so proud that you got through it. And you're not alone. Like there's so many of us who have lived that day. Many of us, we've lived that day lots of times. So there's no shame in any of it. Like, like you said in the beginning, like this is a hero's journey and the beginning of any hero's journey is it just sucks most of the time. And I'm so sorry that you're in the suck, but going to get better you're going to get through it and you don't have to do it alone and it's okay to say it out loud and i'm proud of you i think that that's beautiful that is really beautiful Thanks. 
Yeah. Because I, I, the suck. We want the suck in the through to be over. I know. I know. The only way to get through it is actually be in it at some point, which is just the great unfairness and also what gives you the biggest gifts at the end. Yeah. We wouldn't have the, the gift of Liz McKeon unless all of that, the second yeah. through. I know. And I never would have been able to meet you and Bryce and all. Gosh, there's. All right. Maybe I would do it again if I could do it again. So I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say to everyone listening out there, go listen to Liz and Bryce on their podcast, which is beautiful, Rise, Recover, Live. And you can also find them on Rise, Recover, Live. It'll get you to the same place. That's the word. Yeah, yeah, spelled the same. It works. Oh my gosh. Bryce says that that way every time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The first, like, I don't even know, months that we did the podcast, we had to redo the intro over and over because he would say, welcome to the Rise Recover Live podcast. I'm like, Bryce. <laughs> and we actually had somebody recently say something about the Rise Recover Liz podcast. And so we decided we could say the Bryce Recover Liz. And then we're like, all right, we got to we gotta chill the ego down a little bit. We're getting a little out of control. <laughs> not about us. It really is not. But Plus, you guys are amazing. Thank yeah. you. I love amazing. Love- Oh, too kind, too kind. I just love, you know, having you on here. And it is so special to me. Like I I told you in the beginning, anyway, we didn't record this part, but she feels like a family reunion. And this is what sobriety gives us. I think it gives us the chosen family. This is what we've become. True. I know. We're so lucky. Well, thank you, Viv. This is so wonderful. So good to see you and good to talk to you. And I feel the same way. It feels like, yeah, it feels like we do this every day. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And please go check out their podcast. It has so much information. Check out their app, The Phoenix. This is where we find our tribe and we are all under the same umbrella. People trying to get sober and on the sober journey. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, tell a friend or someone you know, pass this podcast on. And my information is Viv, founder of SoberIThrive.org. I'm an internationally certified in addiction recovery, other known as a sober coach and a life coach too. My certifications encompass the neuroscience of joyful recovery roots of addictions, alcohol and its effects, dynamics of professional recovery coaching, motivation to change, right thinking in recovery, family issues in recovery, codependent behaviors in addiction, and ethical and legal issues in professional recovery coaching. Go to my website, soberithrive.org and book your free, confidential, 30-minute call. We can help create the sober warrior within you.